Today on Abounding Grace. Remember, friend, whatever you're facing tonight, God's view is so much different than your view of every aspect of life. And we would do well to ask God for his perspective on life, on my situation. We would do well to trust him because the coming of the Lord is right up ahead. And the only thing that's going to really matter is have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Hello again. Glad you could make it as we present Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in the middle of a study in Daniel. Head over to chapter 7 and join us for what promises to be a very intriguing time in the Word. In the dream we're about to examine, Daniel sees wild beasts, which are descriptive of the governments of mankind. God is showing his prophet what will take place in the future, including the end times, when there will be a one-world government and leader. Could the stage be set for all this to go down very soon? Let's talk about it. I don't know if you've noted this. Maybe you've experienced it personally. I have. You might be able to make this observation of the world in which we live. Because remember, everything we're talking about, technology, the, the one world ruler, the one world government, and the one world religion, they're all tied together. These are spiritual things, literal things in the world, but with spiritual meaning. And you go, Ed, what do you mean? Well, you know how the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? Like, like what the Bible is trying to teach us is, is there's a reality here. You might be at odds with someone in the room right now. You might be upset with them, but you, you know, the battle is actually not with them. There's a demonic force behind the people. And we, we, we make a great error when we make it about the people. It's not about the people. We don't wrestle with the people, even though they're, the, they're, they're often the tool that stirs up stuff. We wrestle against flesh and blood. So there's the physical reality. We don't deny that. But there's the spiritual significance. And so when you think of a one-world government, you think of a one-world ruler, you think of a one-world banking system, you've got to remember this. You've got to remember one-world religion as well. Remember this. It is a spiritual commitment against the one true God. It's a spiritual commitment. Like some Christians will call the radio show and they're afraid that they'll take the mark of the beast by accident. Nobody will take the mark of beast by accident. It will be a conscious choice to rebel against God. Now there's a lot of things going on that seems to influence and to change. But here's the point I want to make. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've missed it. But we live in a culture right now that everything is upside down. We live in a culture where, and it's not, don't get stuck just in your own country. This is a worldwide phenomenon, a worldwide rebellion against the one true God, a worldwide wholesale embracing of anything and everything but the one true God. And we live in a culture where good is called evil and evil is called good. And when that's repeated over and over again, when it's taught within the world's culture's education system, 
when that's all you hear on the television and where you hear, see in the movies and what you listen to if you choose certain types of music where the world's culture is just constantly changing your mind, it makes a person very willing to do whatever it takes for comfort and ease because they've been conditioned to think that evil is good and good is evil. And so everything's moving in this direction and it just keeps... It keeps like giving me this sense of burden and urgency to beg with you parents and grandparents to disciple your children. As a church family, we are unable to do what your job is, what your God-given role is. We are able to come alongside of you. What a great time I had today in our academy with the kids that were here as I had the privilege of doing chapel with them. It's something I don't get to do very often because of my schedule, but they've rearranged things that allow me to do chapel and just to talk about the things of the Lord. I, I opened up into the book of Acts and we, we talked about Peter and John going up to the temple and the healing of the lame man and we started picking that apart and we did a little play with the kids and we, we showed them visually what it was like. And then I talked to them. I think they were third, fourth, and fifth graders, I think is what they were. And I looked at every, all those kiddos in the eye, every one of them, all throughout each of the rows there, and I began to talk to them about sin and about their sin and about their need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, their need to understand the danger of sin. Oh, I didn't list a bunch of things to watch out for. I gave them that exhortation of the reality of in their life right now, now is the time to follow Jesus. And as I shared with them the gospel after Acts chapter 3, I gave an invitation to those kids in our school. And out of those kids, there was one in particular that started dialoguing with me. And I'm very hopeful with that, that young child, very hopeful that the gospel took root. But I had everyone bow, you know, for the sake of not being embarrassed, being the kids that they are, had everyone bow their heads, close their eyes, and I just asked them if they wanted to follow Jesus to pray after me. And most of the kids prayed. And you go, Ed, how many times are you going to let them pray? Every time they want to. The Bible says, suffer the Jesus said, let those kids come to me. I didn't stop them and give them a Bible study and correct all their theology at third grade. Say, look, we only get saved once. You don't need to be back. Hey, every time you want to crowd to Jesus, I'll train you to crowd to Jesus. You do that. You ask for God to appropriate his blood in your life. You ask God to forgive you of your sins. Those are the exact words. I said, ask God, forgive me of my sin. And the kids are saying it out loud. Listen, parents, I'm privileged. I count it a joy to be a part of your life, to be a part of your kid's life. But you have more influence on your kids than I do. I'm sure it didn't take, before I even walked out the door, they forgot who I was. And thinking, what's for lunch? <laughs> You spend so much more time with them. You have so much more influence in, the, in their lives. They listen to you. I know it may not feel like that. They listen to you. They listen to everything. They see everything. And they process it in their little minds and come to a conclusion of whether they want to follow God or not. I know as we look at the end times, we recognize this is a spiritual situation in a culture that calls evil good and good evil. Many think he's not real, the Antichrist. But on the other hand, I, I want to warn the body of Christ today. On the other, while some people make fun of the Antichrist, other people make it their entire goal in life to figure out who he is. 
And they're just looking for the Antichrist under every bush and every news article. And over the years, it's interesting, this, this Antichrist, he's described, you know, as, as a smooth operator, bringing peace to a world that's in turmoil. And people will embrace him, accept him, elevate him. And over the years, this isn't just a modern thing, over the years, there's been all these guesses as people focus on the Antichrist, focus on the Antichrist. In ancient times, you know, people thought it was Nero, Caligula. In our day and age, people uh, said that Hitler was the Antichrist, Gorbachev, Kissinger, Putin, Obama, Trump, and even Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton can't be the Antichrist. He's a man. But some people are like, hey, they'll write a whole blog, and then people were folded around, and just read your Bible. And let me say this. Personally, I don't care who the Antichrist is. I could care less. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. The Bible never teaches me to look for the Antichrist. I'm not studying people, not checking out wounds. I'm not looking at everyone that walks through the doors here for that sinister gleam in your eye. Are you the Antichrist? Are you that? Is he the Antichrist? The Bible teaches me to look for Jesus Christ, the blessed hope. He tells me to look for his soon return. When I look for the Antichrist and I'm all involved in that, then I find myself stuck in the moment. When I look to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that I become a more purified man. Holiness and urgency. And this Antichrist, well, let's go back to our text in chapter 7 in our few minutes we have together. And look what happens to him. Look at verse 8. There's this, as he was looking at the horn, suddenly another small horn appeared. Three of the first horns were tore out to make room for him. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth boasting arrogantly. Verse 11, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the force beast was killed and its body destroyed by fire. Look at verse 20. I asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn seemed greater than the others and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Look at verse 21. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them. Look at verse 25. It says, He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they'll be placed under His control for a time, times, and a half a time. Come back to verse 23. It says that He said to me, This fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth It'll be different from the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Verse 11, if you come back to verse 11, it says, I continue to watch because I hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed, its body destroyed with fire. And then finally in verse 26, we read, then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. So we've got this little horn speaking pompous, arrogant, boastful words. Its appearance, his appearance is greater than the others. He made war against the saints, God's holy people. He devours the whole earth, trampling and crushing. The beast is destroyed, then taken away and consumed and completely destroyed. And again, if you're taking notes, Revelation chapter 12 tells us that Satan's real battle is with the nation of Israel. His real battle is to destroy the lineage of Messiah. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that the last seven years of human history 
the earth will be in upheaval. Would you turn over to Matthew 24 with me, please? Matthew 24, and pick up with me there in verse 21, as Jesus describes what it's like in the final days. On a broader scale, notice how Jesus describes the latter times in Matthew 24, 21. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. It will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen people. It's going to be a very challenging time. Would you turn over to 2 Timothy now with me? 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, we learn a little bit of what it's going to be like in chapter 3. And once again, we reviewed this today in our pastoral meeting, just being reminded of those of us serving in the last days serve in a much more difficult season of ministry. Notice how Paul tells Timothy to be ready for the last times. He says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. You might have remembered it as perilous times. Times that are just filled with peril and difficulty. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but will reject the power that can make them godly. They will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They will act religious. They will want people to think that they're okay. They want to uh, pretend that they're all right with God. They're going to act that way, but all the while rejecting the power that can bring godliness. And what does he say at the end? Stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. And the end times going to be a very difficult time. In the seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation period, with the church already raptured in heaven with it, and being present with her bridegroom, God's attention then in those seven years is turned toward the nation of Israel to fulfill all the promises that he made to his beloved, the apple of his eye. For more biblical teaching on that, you'll find that in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11. And then once again, we've gone through these, sec these passages verse by verse, looking at God's eternal plan for the nation of Israel. The Antichrist will come on the scene small, bringing unity, bringing people together, where some of you shake your head and you say, I just don't see how it can happen. We look in our own nation that's greatly divided today. We see in a nation an inability to agree we see a culture that just loves to argue and loves to fight and seems to be coming, becoming more divided on every level that there can possibly be a division, which makes the demonic presence in the Antichrist all the more powerful. And he'll come on small, but he'll grow. And in the middle, of, and he'll make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. And beyond all of our, beyond all of our ability to comprehend it, I believe that part of the peace treaty that will be made with Israel will usher in the rebuilding of the temple. And do you know some theories 
of the rebuilding of the temple is that the current dome of the rock, you know, that gold dome, according to the specs on the temple mount, could be rebuilt. The temple could be rebuilt right next to it, and it would sit in the court of the Gentiles. Now, that would take some diplomacy <laughs> because, again, if you're going to Israel with us in a couple weeks, you will see what a volatile place, just the way it is right now, what a volatile place the Temple Mount is. But see, all of this is happening and will be fulfilled, and God will make it come to pass. And it's in the middle of the seven years, three and a half years into it, that he will set up an image in the temple and demand to be worshiped. And he will turn his back on this treaty and show his true colors. And he'll turn on the world. And with that in mind, pick up in verse 25 here in Daniel 7 now. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws. They'll be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. And the sovereignty and power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people and to the Most High, and his kingdom will last forever, and all the rulers will serve and obey him. And that was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts, and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. I love that. The Antichrist will not rule forever. He will be taken down. The world ruler, the little horn, will fall at the hands of the Most High, the Ancient of Days, the second coming of Jesus Christ. You can write it down, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And notice in chapter 7, back in Daniel, where it says, The sovereignty, power, greatness of the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle His, and you can write next to that, Jesus Christ. That's who he's speaking of. When, when will the man in the governments of, of man learn that? So many rulers today see that great image. They look at a political career and they see power and control. They see the ultimate. This is the ultimate to be ruler over people. They see the opportunity to rule rather than their obligation to God. Politics has overtaken prayer and policies overrule reliance. And, and think of in the invention of the United Nations and the thought that they have that they will truly usher in world peace. Do you know hanging in the United Nations in one of their hallways is actually a very familiar Bible passage. In Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4, they have this quoted. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so what do the leaders of the United Nations say? They say, that's our goal. We agree with God. That's our goal. Our goal is, that's why we're here. We're, we're here to uphold the biblical promise and the elimination of war and to usher in peace and to eliminate hostility. But the problem is, is that they forgot a very important part of that verse. And they didn't quote it. Because Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 actually starts with this. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Then they shall beat their swords into plowshares. You see, Isaiah prophesies a time where there'll be peace and unity, but he also specifies how it will happen. And you can rest assured, the United Nations ain't going to bring it in. That's not going to happen. They forgot conveniently 
to mention the power of God. The UN's not going to bring peace. The government of man, governments of man will not be lasting peace. Even in the difficulties you have on personal level, where you are, at, at, you are lacking peace with a family member, a friend, you won't even usher in peace. It will only be the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring about the right conditions to bring reconciliation in your life. And some of you have been beating your head on the wall thinking, I've done everything I can and it's still not happening. I've done everything I can and it's still not happening. Save yourself the agony and the pain. Step back and begin to pray for God to work on the other side. Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Daniel right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. Pastor Ed, as you were talking about the end times and the Antichrist, a question comes to mind. Will the Antichrist be revealed before or after the rapture? And could he be on the earth even as we speak? That's a great question, Larry. I love biblical questions because we should go right to the text or to the most relevant text that will answer a question like this. And I was immediately reminded of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul writes to the church, Don't you remember when I was still with you? I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that he, that's speaking of the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery, verse 7, of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and to destroy with the brightness of his coming. And according to Second Thessalonians chapter 8, he who is restraining, well, according to chapter 7, he who is taken out of the way, he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one, verse 8, is revealed. So I believe the Antichrist will be revealed after the rapture. Could he be on earth even as we speak? <laughs> well, I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, so therefore, yes, I believe he's alive now on the earth. It's not a baby. He's not in diapers. I believe he's born and grown up and ready to be revealed after he who is restraining is taken out of the way. I know there's a lot of debate on the timing. Some people put it before uh, the rapture, put it before the great tribulation. Some people put it in the middle. Some people say it doesn't exist at all. Listen, whenever the Lord comes back for his church, we want to be a readied people. We want to, we want to be prepared and we don't want to see the Antichrist revealed. We don't want to be here for that. We want to be in the air with the Lord forever with him. And so great question. I think Second Thessalonians answers it uh, clear enough for me. Uh, and I would just say, if you have any questions about the rapture, I have put together some key links and studies that are available to you right now. If you email me at ed at edtaylor.org. It has to be .org. Ed at edtaylor.org, ask for the rapture resources, and I will give you enough uh, info and studies. And I think I did a, I, I have one of them, 12 reasons why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. And you can look at the scriptures for yourself, be encouraged, be excited, and cry out with me, Maranatha, even so, Lord, come 
quickly. That's very helpful. Thanks again. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Max Licato called In the Grip of Grace. The message of the world is try harder and work smarter. You've got it in you. You can do it. But the message of the Bible is something entirely different. In essence, we're told stop striving and being self-sufficient, but rather land in the arms of a God who loves you and be refreshed by His grace. Dive deep into the riches of God's grace as you read In the Grip of Grace. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. We want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses, too. And that's our prayer. It's our heart's desire. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we would sure appreciate it. This would be a good time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will resume our series in Daniel on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.